Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 121. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word as it's found in Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to engage in the study of that word. We pray that you would now sweeten this psalm in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made that we might more enjoy the calling that you have given to us, that we might honor you more along the path of life. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, I don't know if I can say all world cultures, because I don't know all world cultures, but certainly a lot of cultures use the metaphor of journey for describing life. That's certainly true in American culture, broadly speaking, But it's also true in the Christian culture as a subunit of American culture. We speak of life as a journey. Of course, one of the most well-loved books probably in Christian literature is Pilgrim's Progress. And it looks at life as a journey, as a pilgrimage. Uh, I don't know how many times I have said to my children... Uh, one in particular, uh, when there are bumps in the road, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the path. Uh, we might think of uh, some hymns, especially traditional hymnody. We could uh, come up with a number of songs. One that pops into my mind immediately is, Guide me though, O great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Uh, Life as a journey, life as a pilgrimage. Well, the Bible itself speaks of life as a pilgrimage in a number of different ways. Uh, Another song just popped into my head. We are marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, that beautiful city of God. Well, not only are particular texts kind of using this theme, this metaphor of life as a journey, but there's a group of psalms that does that. It's Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, and we read this morning the second of those psalms. They all have the exact same title. They're all called Psalms of Ascent. Now, the word ascent doesn't occur very often in the Bible. Uh, It occurs only a couple of times, and one of the ways that it's used is for a journey. We could call these uh, psalms for a journey. 
And in this batch of psalms, the journey in particular is the journey from, ever where, from, from wherever you were living as an ancient Israelite to the city of Zion. Three times a year, all males had to show up in Jerusalem at the three big annual festivals. They had to make a pilgrimage to the presence of God. And these psalms would have been used as people made that pilgrimage to their destination, to Zion, to the city of God, to Jerusalem. And so this fall, Lord willing, I'm going to be here over eight different Sundays. And so I thought we would take eight of these psalms. Now, over the years, I've preached on a few of these psalms of ascent. We're not going to preach on all of them. But I'm going to, I've picked eight of them that all kind of have particular focuses on one dimension or another of this journey that we're on to the celestial city. And we're starting this morning with uh, Psalm 121. So the series is going to be Prayers for Life's Journey because all of these psalms are prayers. And if there's one thing that we need to do along the path of life, it's to pray. And the Holy Spirit has given us guidance in how to pray many places in the Bible. We think of the Lord's Prayer, uh, but in particular in the book of Psalms. And these Psalms were given to show us how to pray on the path of life. So, eight Psalms, eight prayers. This morning, a prayer for protection. Now, we don't have to wonder what Psalm 121 is all about. The Hebrew poet has shown us. As I've mentioned before, there are differences between Hebrew literature and English literature, but certainly one of them has to do with vocabulary. Our English teachers have taught us to vary our vocabulary so what we write is not boring. (laughs) Hebrew teachers taught their kids to repeat their vocabulary. How else will anybody know what you're talking about if you don't repeat the vocabulary? Well, the word guard, we could translate it protect. The word shamar, guard, protect, maybe your translation uses the word keep. Keep as in preserve. It occurs six times in this short little psalm. And whenever you see a word repeated that much, you know that the poet wants you to come away with that one idea as the big idea. This psalm is a prayer that God would keep you. You know, the the benediction that we often use at the end of the service, uh, the Lord bless you and, there's the word right there, the Lord bless you and empower you along the way. Now, you may notice if you look at your translation that after every other verse, there's some extra white space. Do you see that? After verse 2, there's some white space. After verse 4, there's some white space. You see that extra white space? That's not an accident. That is the modern uh, translator editor's way of telling you that verses 1 and 2 hang together in kind of a paragraph, and so do 3 and 4, and so do 5 and 6. You see that? Um, We call this couplets, speaking poetically. Uh, A couplet is when you have two poetic lines that hang together as a unit. And so this psalm has uh, four couplets in it. Now, 
I like the way the, at least the new NIV handles this psalm. I'm not sure if any of you have that one in front of you. It's the NIV that uh, was, I think, published in 2010 or 2000 or 11. But after every initial line, I lift up my eyes to the mountains, M dash. He will not, verse three, he will not let your foot slip, M dash. Verse um, uh, five, the Lord watches over you, M dash. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all harm, M dash. That M dash is like a long hyphen. And by putting that after every one of these opening lines in each of the couplets, the NIV is communicating to you that that first part tells you kind of the whole story of those verses. It gives you the main idea. And then what follows is just kind of amplification on that main idea. So since this has four uh, strophes, there are four couplets, you can take a guess as to how many points I have this morning. Very good, four. Just one other thing about numbers. Hebrew poets did counting. They counted in a number of different ways. Uh, For example, I've preached on the Aaronic benediction and how it's the perfect blessing because there are three lines, perfection. The first line is three words. The last line is seven words. The middle line is five words, which is perfectly symmetrical between three and seven. They They do all kinds of counting to kind of embed not some secret message, but to emphasize like the message that's right there on the page. Well, this poet has done that also. And it it doesn't come out in all of our translations, but poetic lines are made up of, of a half line that we call a colon. Now, in this poem, there are an odd number of cola. And when there are an odd number of cola, that means there's going to be a central colon. And if you locate that central colon, there are eight above it and eight below it. And here's what that central colon says. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your guardian. The Lord is your protector. Not only does the poet tell you what this prayer is all about by repeating, protect, 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 guard, 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 keep, keep, keep. But he counts his cola and he arranges the psalm. So that if you can't remember the whole psalm, but you can only remember one colon, he says, remember this central one. The Lord is your guardian along the path of life. So we're going to look now at Psalm 121, a prayer for protection. First of all, verses 1 and 2. And here the psalmist encourages you to journey with thoughtfulness. To journey with thoughtfulness. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? You see, the the poet starts by asking a question. Uh, I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? And this image teaches you two things. It teaches you about your destiny. Why does he lift up his eyes to the mountains? Because that's his destination. Where's Jerusalem? Jerusalem is 
in the mountains. The Bible speaks of going up to Jerusalem because it was up in the high part of the mountains. And so you have to imagine that you're an ancient pilgrim and you're just about to start your pilgrimage. Let's say you live in Nazareth or Bethlehem or, or Hebron and, and you're contemplating, you lift up your eyes to the mountains and, and there's a reminder right away that as you journey, you journey with thoughtfulness about your destination. Uh, someone once said, I'll uh, just slip my mind. What did they say? It comes in a couple of versions. Um, if you don't know where you're going, you're sure to get there. Or you won't get there. I don't know, but you get the point. You got to know where you're going, folks. And as believers, you are people with a destiny. You have a, you have in, you're not aimless wanderers. Uh, I, I was listening to some music coming down and I was listening to Alan Jackson and country hymns. And there was one about, uh, I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger. And sometimes we get the idea that we're just wandering aimlessly, but you're not. You have a destination. And so you begin with thoughtfulness. And as you journey, it is always ever so helpful to keep your eye on the goal, knowing where you're going so you don't get distracted. I, I, my wife will tell you I'm not a procrastinator. Um, she says, honey, would you do this? And I typically just get up and do it right away. I'm not a procrastinator. Now, there is one time in particular when I can procrastinate. That's when I'm not sure where I'm going or I don't think I can do it. I don't have the skills. I don't have the resources. I can easily put that one on the back burner. You're people with a destiny. You know where you're going. Keep your eyes fixed on the goal of where you're going. Journey with thoughtfulness. So this is an image of your destiny. But ironically, it's also an image of your anxiety. Do any of you ever worry about anything along the way, path of life? Or are you you not like me? See, when you lift up your eyes to the hills, what you're also seeing is not only your destiny, but you're seeing all of the obstacles that stand between you and your destiny. Do you have any obstacles in front of you right now between where you are and where you would like to be? If so, it just means that you're human. It's part of the journey to have to get over, to have to go around, to have to go under obstacles in life. How do I know that this is an image of anxiety? Because of the, question, the answer that comes in this question, where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? Why does he even ask the question? He asked the question because he knows that there are some obstacles out there that if he doesn't have help, those obstacles would be insurmountable. Where does my help come from? There's an amazing answer. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. How do we start the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And earth. That phrase in the Apostles' Creed, maker of heaven and earth, comes right out of the book of Psalms. It's a way of referring to God. God is the one who's the maker of heaven and earth. 
And it's used five times in the Psalms, and most of them are batched right around here. It's used in Psalm 115, where the maker of heaven and earth is the one who blesses you. Here, he's the one who helps you. In Psalm 124, he's the one who helps you. In Psalm 134, he's the one that blesses you. In Psalm 146, he's the one that helps you. Maker of heaven and earth is used for God doing one of two things, either helping you or blessing you, and they're related to each other. Help. God is said to be our helper. Uh, And what that means is pretty remarkable. A helper is someone who comes alongside of you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You might imagine yourself on a road at night and you get a flat tire and you don't have the wherewithal to change your own flat tire and somebody stops and changes the flat tire for you. In Hebrew, that's a helper. Somebody who comes alongside of you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, a helper's not necessarily someone of lower status, even though they're condescending to come down underneath you or beside you. Um, if, if you were stranded on the highway and President Obama were to drive by and stop and help you change your tire, he would be your helper. He would, from his status as president, he's above you. But in that moment, he comes down underneath you to help you, to serve you, to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's what the Lord does. The Lord condescends from his high throne in heaven to come alongside you, to help you. But he's also at the same time in those Psalms, he's the one who blesses you. And as we've seen time and again, that means to empower you. God comes alongside you to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But one of the ways that he does that is by empowering you. It's kind of like the old thing of uh, give a man a fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. That God comes alongside you to help you in particular by empowering you for the next step, the next phase in the journey along the way. So as you continue to make your way toward the celestial city, Psalm 121 says, journey with thoughtfulness. Keep the destiny in mind. And even though you're tempted to be anxious and worry about the obstacles that lie in between you and your destiny, know that the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, will be with you every step of the way to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, and to empower you to do what you need to do. Journey with thoughtfulness. Well, verses 3 through 4. Journey with firm footing. Notice that it says in verse 3, He will not let your foot slip. So, journey with firm footing. Now, there's a presumption here, right? If the text says he will not let your foot slip, what's the poem presuming? It's presuming that there are some slippery spots along the way where you could slip. Why would the psalmist promise that you won't slip if slipping wasn't a possibility? 
slipping's a possibility along the way. I wish I could guarantee you that the path from now to the very end would just be smooth sailing, no slippery spots, no obstacles, no rough spots. But number one, I don't know that. And number two, while in theory it's possible, statistically it's not very likely. Think of the psalmist in Psalm, 20, in Psalm 73. He said, surely... I know in my heart of hearts that God is good to Israel, yet my feet had almost slipped and I almost lost my foothold. Now, for him, it was in particular struggling with why the wicked prosper and the righteous were not prospering at that particular time. But it can be all sorts of things, right? We all have those 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 areas. Um, dis, di, disappointment is one of the biggest. It's hard to say ice patch in Florida. Um, do, do you know you you know what ice patches are? Driving, ice, snow. If you've probably seen it on the news in the winter. You know, disappointment is probably one of the the biggest ice patches on the highway of life. You have these expectations and it just didn't work out that way. Uh, Some of us are younger. Some of us are middle. Some of us are older. All of us can probably already say, I Never thought it would turn out that way. Disappointments in life. And some of them just can't be undone. It's, it's, it's one of those areas that can make our feet start to slip, especially, especially when we're disappointed in God. And if we're honest, that's the big disappointment, right? Right? It's not so much that this other person let you down. It's your perception that God has let you down. You expected God to work in one way, but the way it ended up didn't look like the way you expected God to work at all. And you have these deep disappointments. That was Psalm. That was the conflict in Psalm 73. Surely God is good, but... My feet were slipping. I was on this icy path because what I read in God's word and what I saw in life, I just, I just couldn't put them together. That's when I say to my kids, it's all part of the path. And often it's not until some time later. How many of you also, were we to take time, could share at least one story from your life where you were really disappointed? with the way things worked out. And maybe a day or two or three or a year later, two years later, you look back and you say, wow, I sure am glad it played out that way. You see, because when we are like trapped in the moment, which is the reason why we experience these disappointments, but God isn't. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows that he's at work in everything for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. 
in the moment it hurts, it disappoints, that's when you have to walk by faith and not by sight. That even on those slippery patches, you see, you're walking with thoughtfulness. That God, the maker of heaven and earth, is right there with you. And that you have a firm footing. Now, the reason why you will not slip is because he will not sleep. Notice it says, uh, he who... He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I don't know what your translation says. Mine says slumber, sleep, okay? It it, it at least is getting at that there are two different words in Hebrew. Hebrew actually has three words for sleeping. Um, Probably none of you right now are in the third, That's a real deep sleep. That's what God put Adam in when he took out the rib. That's what Jonah was in when he was in the hold of the ship. That's a real deep sleep. Some of you might be in the first one. That's kind of, that's, that's a word for drowsy. That's, you know, when you're, when you're doing this, when you're driving down the road and you say, how long were my eyes closed? You know, you're, you're, you're awake, but you're drowsy. And then there's a middle word. So in Hebrew, we've got drowsy, sleep, deep sleep. Deep sleep is not in this psalm, but drowsy is. The the word translated slumber, the text is saying that God doesn't get drowsy. And moreover, not only does he get drowsy, if he doesn't get drowsy, he never falls asleep. You see, he's not just with you. He's with you in an attentive way. This has never happened to you, but it's probably happened to somebody with you. Have you, ha, have you ever been in the situation where it's, ty- it's late? You're in a, like maybe a, you've been at a, with a group of people out for dinner or something, and you're really tired, and somebody's trying to have a conversation, and you're, being, you're doing your utmost to let them know that you're not three-quarters asleep already? See, God doesn't get, you're with that person, Right? but you're not good for much. See, God is not only with you, but he's with you in attentiveness. Not only does he not fall asleep on you, he doesn't even get drowsy along the way. You see, so that's why your footing can be firm. Because if you go to slip, he hasn't gone to sleep. And he's there to uphold you and to sustain you along the way. Verses 5 and 6. Journey with personal, and the emphasis on the personal, journey with personal protection. This is amazing. Notice it says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm You, do you see the emphasis in these verses on you, how personal this protection is? The the psalm says that the Lord is your guardian. Now, in the previous verse, he was the guardian of Israel. See, there's a, a role that God plays guarding the whole people. But he's so marvelous, he doesn't just guard the whole. He guards each one of you individually. 
I, I may have told you about the fact that when I grew up praying in church, everybody always prayed out loud, nobody prayed silently, and everybody always prayed at the same time. And when I was a little kid, I used to think, how can God like, keep all these prayers separate? Um, but, but he can. And he not only is the shepherd who takes the entire flock where it's supposed to go, but he has his eye on every one of the individual sheep so that if one of those sheep starts to stray, he goes after and he gets the... That's God's protection of you. It's so personal. He knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head or he knows the number of hairs that used to be on your head but aren't there anymore. Personal. Journey with personal protection. The Lord is your shade. Now, I've lived in Southern California, and I've lived in Florida. And people talk about the difference between dry heat and wet heat. Well, let me tell you, it's all hot. (laughs) Don't care whether it's dry or whether it's wet, it's hot. There is a difference, however. When you're in dry heat... If you can just get out of the sun, you feel a lot of relief. Whereas here in central Florida, uh, humidity knows no boundaries. Even if you're in the shade, the humidity level hasn't gone down. Israel's more like Southern California. It's dry heat. And so this image of, if I could just get in the shade, And so we have this, frequently in the book of Psalms, God as your refuge, God as your protector, is God, God is your shade. Shading you in particular from the heat of the sun. But what's really shocking here is it says God is your shade at your right hand. Where's Jesus seated right now? At the right hand of God the Father. The right hand is a place of, of honor. But in particular, it's also a place of subordination. The Father and the Son. And the Son is at the right hand of the Father. If you think of a dais, a big throne room, there's a central throne and the Father is on the throne. And who's sitting on a lower throne right to his right? Jesus is. Now notice, you're not at God's right hand. God is at your right hand. This is like God as helper. Here's you and here's God at your right hand. The image is turned upside down. God condescends to come and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. God condescends to come and protect you where you need protection. This is just, in in its own way, a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? What did Jesus do? Jesus, who was God, deserving of all worship and honor and praise, all of the wealth of heaven, all of the worship of heaven, left it all behind. He condescended. He came down to go underneath you to pick you up, to carry you along the way. God is not only your shade, but he's your shade at your right hand so the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. That has something to do with being a lunatic, but we don't have time for that this morning. Last couple of verses. Journey with hope. Journey with hope. 
notice that it says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. Isn't that good news? It's also a little bit troublesome, isn't it? It's a little troublesome, but this is an example of hyperbole. And as we've spoken before, hyperbole is exaggeration. But it's not the kind of exaggeration your mom didn't want you to do. Your mom didn't want you to exaggerate for the purpose of deceiving somebody. That's not hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggerating for the purpose of making your point with some rhetorical power, like, it took forever to get home last night. Not literally. We use hyperbole all the time. Hyperbole is a very ordinary form of speech, and hyperbole is a form of speech that is used in the Bible. Notice it says, he will keep you from all harm. All harm. Harm is ra. And it can either mean moral evil, or it can mean trouble or or calamity. Now, can, can any of you say that you've experienced no trouble since you've become a Christian? No one can, unless a liar is here. So if it, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't mean that he will keep you from all harm, why does it say he will keep you from all harm? If I don't mean it took forever to get home, why did I say it took forever to get home? Because I want to emphasize my point. And the psalmist wants to emphasize his point, and so he uses hyperbole. He not only uses hyperbole, he uses another beautiful figure in the next verse, which we call merism. Not a, it's common, but we don't, you didn't learn about it probably in English class. You learned similes and metaphors and hyperbole, but not merism. Merism is when you use two extremes to communicate a totality. No, notice what it says. It's, it says that the Lord will watch over your coming and your going. That means no matter where you are, he's going to watch over you. He's going to watch over you everywhere. Both now and forevermore, he's not only going to watch over you everywhere, he's going to watch over you all the time. So in these last verses, the psalmist uses some beautiful figures. He uses hyperbole. He uses merism. Why? Because he wants to assure you. He wants to give you hope so that as you journey, you journey with hope. And that hope has two dimensions. One, he wants you to journey knowing for sure that the Lord is with you. Remember the central colon. The Lord is your guardian. He's with you everywhere. He's with you all the time. You know, our favorite Psalm 23 does this same thing. The psalmist, when David wrote Psalm 23, he was doing some counting. And he has an odd number of cola. And there's one that's right smack dab in the middle of the poem. And that is, for thou art with me. Whether you're in the valley of the shadow of death, or whether you're in the green pastures by still waters, neither of those is nearly as important as the truth that God is with you. Because if you're in the greenest of green pastures and God is not with you, they only look green. They're not. And if you're in the deepest, darkest valley and the Lord is with you, it only looks deep and dark. 
it's not really because he's with you. And God wants to assure you this morning as you continue on your journey in life of that most important truth, more important than any of your circumstances, the truth that he is with you. And along with that, because he is with you, he wants to assure you that you will make it safely to the very end. And that's why he says he'll keep you from all harm. Because from another perspective, that's true. From an ultimate perspective, he will keep you from all harm because everything is working together for your good because you love God and because you have been called according to his purpose. Well, let's wrap this up by looking at two things. One is the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask, we ask, deliver us from Ra. Deliver us from harm, from trouble, from evil. You see, as the, the psalmist teaches us to pray, Jesus taught us to pray along the path. Continue to ask that God would deliver you from trouble, calamity, evil, so that you can make it safely to the end. In the Lord's Prayer, we ask. In the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's Supper, we remember. Listen to the words of Hebrews 5, 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus faced all sorts of obstacles along the way, but he prayed regularly, and he prayed fervently with tears with enthusiasm, with passion. He prayed to the one who was able to deliver him from death, to save him from death, and he was heard. But he was not heard in the sense that God said, okay, you don't have to suffer on the cross. He wasn't heard by one who could hear him and deliver him from death on the cross. He wasn't heard in that. He wasn't heard in the short run. And it was deeply disappointing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he felt. From a human point of view, he was saying it wasn't supposed to play out this way. And in the short run, he felt it. And he expressed it. And so if you feel it in the short run, it's okay to feel it. It's okay to express it. But he was heard in the long run because God raised him from the dead. And he'll raise you from the dead as well. You will make it safely all the way home. Not because you pray Psalm 121 so well so often. But because Jesus has prayed it perfectly for you. And he's died on the cross to pay the penalty for all the times when you should have been praying and you were complaining. Uh, When you should have been confident and you were anxious. 
He's taken care of it all. He's lived a perfect life of righteousness in your place. He's died on the cross to pay for it all. He's been raised from the dead to guarantee that you'll make it all the way home. So as I said in the beginning, keep your eyes on the destiny. And Jesus is the destiny. Which is why Hebrews always says, also says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who for the joy set before him, that's the joy you're moving toward, he endured the cross. So go through the ups and downs and all the obstacles. He endured the cross and scorned its shame and therefore he sat down at the Father's right hand. And one day you'll take your place as well. Uh, We're all on a pilgrimage, we're all on a path, we're all on different spots along the way, but we're all humans. We all need to pray. Prayers of protection. We all need to remember. And so we have the wonderful privilege of remembering in a very focused way who God is and what God has done for us uh, to make sure that it is true that ultimately nothing will ever harm you now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for this word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would uh, encourage us by it. And we pray now that you would uh, feed our souls, feed our souls with the bread of life. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.